Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. Today's Climbing Sycamores is brought to you by Southbrook Church and the spare change I found in my couch cushions. <laughs> are we starting? We are starting. Can we say that? I think I, so. I just did. Okay. Oh, you did? Oh, I didn't know it was <laughs> recording. Okay. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Climbing Sycamores. We've got, we've got Pastor Ben back. Oh, man. Yay, Pastor Second ben. bout Ooh. of the Rona. Yeah. I, it was, yeah, I'm so sick of this. It was but my, worse it, this time? It seemed bad, and uh, my lungs are still getting over it, but uh, I'm happy to be here, happy to be back. Yeah, happy to have you. It it stinks to be home doing nothing, can't leave. I followed all the quarantine mm-hmm. rules, and uh, now I'm ready to get back after it. This is why I never visit my in-laws, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> What do you want to talk about, Annie? Yeah, so uh, last night I watched a docu-series, three-part docu-series on the Woodstock of 1999, Mm -hmm. and it's called Trainwreck, and, you know, Ben and I were about 16 at that time. Matt was, you know, still in diapers, probably a year old. What year were you born? Blissfully unaware. I was 19, at the very end of 1997. Okay. Oh, okay, so you're about a year and a half. Yeah. Um. So, and I remember this happening, you know, because a lot of the bands that I liked were there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize what a disaster it was. And so, to make a long story short, um, they wanted to emulate, you know, the vibe of the 1969 Woodstock, peace, love, you know, taking care of one another, all that. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was the 1999 version, they brought in about a quarter of a million people. And um, due to what some would call greed, they cut a lot of corners, and mm-hmm. so uh, the infrastructure was not put in place for, you know, to accommodate 250,000 people. So things like there were 250,000 people. Yes, and like it's just it's an outdoor music fest. Yes, so this Holy was in smokes. I believe Rome, New York, and it was kind of on like a, wow. I don't know if it was a military, a former military base or or some type of like air airplane. Uh, there was tarmac like. So it's it somewhere along uh, an airport On of some kind. Airfield. Yeah. I guess that's the only place you can find space for that many people. Jeez. Yeah. So it was a lot of people. They had one one main stage. So hot. it was like yes, super hot, um, limited shade. There was you know shade was not considered for the people. Um, the port porta potties there weren't enough and they weren't cleaned. And so this is a three day festival and so. Um, there wasn't potable drinking water. People got infections from drinking, um, you know, unsanitary water and, um, a lot of, lots of drug use ended in rape, rioting, you know, they, there were riots, uh, by day three. And so I guess what my takeaway from that was, it seemed like the people's basic needs were not met. So they didn't have shelter. They didn't have water, mm-hmm. um, the prices for food and everything were just, I mean, astronomical. Yeah. Um, they didn't, you know, the, 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 the waste was spilling out into the common areas from yeah. the porta potties. And so they're living in these like mm-hmm. war, warlike conditions or third world, yeah. you know, conditions. And they're doing that for three days paired with, you know, drugs and nudity and drinking yeah. and partying for three straight days. So no sleep. Yeah. So like I said, by the end of day three, yeah. 
it ended in mass riots and and fires. And so the the organizers of the event seemed to take no responsibility for this. So at the very end of the event, they decided because um, Columbine had happened mm-hmm. in I believe April of that year. Yeah. And then this festival was in July. So they decided the Red Hot Chili Peppers closed the the festival, and they decided to hand a quarter of a million people candles oh, for a candlelight vigil for for Columbine. <laughs> And so I'm like, what could go wrong, right? Wow. Like with that. So uh, anyway, fires ensued, explosions. Oh my goodness. Um, so I, yeah, like I said, my my point is, I think when you when you take away people's basic needs, and I think we see this, you know, in in, uh, you know, socioeconomically in, in poorer communities, like too, like there tends to be more crime and more things like that because you've taken like people don't have access to some of the most basic. Mm-hmm things food yeah. water you know and so there's there's this desperation mm-hmm. lord of the flies mentality you know it's amazing how quickly mm-hmm. uh that's my thought too how quickly you can run out if if, if you don't have resource how quickly that can go away with I, I remember leading a, a kids camp uh years ago and we were down in this this valley it was a beautiful location but we had this huge rainstorm so there was flooding down there mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have access the, the, then the electricity went out and like we had to get those kids home like quick where we had you know we had water before we had electricity we had a lot of these basic things and once that went away you know a mass group of people you know you don't have what they need and it kind of get to our our later topic you know how much our whole how much our whole world is designed to foster life and take care of life mm. and and uh, how many things have to work together and once you take away those things like it doesn't take long for things to go sideways mm-hmm. yeah wow okay but three days is my point it took three days mm-hmm. for people to start raping looting and burning yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's horrific. Was well, it like I, free? Do people have to no, pay? No, people tickets? did have to pay, and so I um yeah they I mean they did pay to get in. Like if you're dehydrated and you're like, all the porta potties are full of crap. Yeah. And I'm dehydrated. And it's hot. Yeah. You just leave. I don't get how it even gets that bad. I don't know why people. I, what are you clinging to that you're willing to stay there through well, and then, violence? And then some people were asked even after you know being interviewed, which was also kind of cool because you know it was the late '90s. There there was footage. Like there yeah. was a lot of footage, which is co- kind of cool. Um, you know, whereas like in you know '69 there wasn't as obviously yeah. as much. Um. But one of the points was people had been asked, you know, would you come back? Yeah. And people were like, oh, heck yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you serious? Because as my, I mean, you all know me. I'm very social. I would never want, yeah. I wouldn't have no interest in going there, even yeah. if the conditions were, were like really good. I mean, it was with, too much. With that many people, though, you, you could imagine some people would even, might not even know what's happening to other people. Oh, 100%. Like, I don't know how tightly packed this is, but 250,000 people is a lot of people. It, it's wild if you look at at the footage and just the, the trash, the amount of trash. Um, but one other thing that was kind of interesting, too, to think about was, you know, some people were being interviewed and they said, you know, if this had happened today, yeah, the festival would have been torn apart by social media. Yeah. But back then, right. you know, the news was kind of getting whiffs of what was happening. And so, you know, the organizers obviously were trying to put a positive narrative on everything. And so... Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm just fascinated. I love the '90s. I that's my yeah. my decade, and um, 
shows you it's what wild. it takes to put on a summer fest and what it takes yeah. to put on these festivals we have here in Milwaukee. Yeah. Wow. I think it shows you that human beings are truly twisted, vulgar, sub <laughs> subservient creatures. Honest, <laughs> honestly. It's I mean, disturbing. It's it's scary. Do you want to break into your next topic? Topic B? Yeah, sure. So um Yesterday, we had a great sermon at church, and it was, you know, uh, focused on creation and things like that. And I think that, uh, so my husband, Dave, often ponders, he's big into like, he likes like sci-fi type Mm -hmm. stuff. And um, so he often, I think, ponders the concept of life outside of planet Earth. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking about, you know, the sermon and how vast our universe is and how, mm-hmm. how much there is. He's like, isn't this a waste of yeah. creation, a waste of space for us to kind of just be it? Right. You know? The sermon was based on Psalm 8. Maybe I could read it because it's just yeah. such a beautiful psalm and what it, it says. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And then here's that line that you're thinking about. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So that whole idea of when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, you know, what, what is mankind that you're mindful of him? What, Especially when you, these people at Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, the, Pastor Bill had some statistics on that. Uh, I don't know when his sermon was on like the planet Betelgeuse and how big that is. I think that's the biggest planet we know of. And it, it's it's beyond comprehension. Like parts of our whole parts of our solar system can fit inside of this one planet. Um, I don't want to Google Beetlejuice, how big that planet is. It's something yeah, crazy. Okay. okay. Who's going to win on that one? Okay. Yeah. So what does Dave think? Or what, I, and what do you think? I, I mean, I, I don't know. It does seem like an awful lot. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to comprehend how incredible, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm, I'm content to say, yeah, we're it. Like, I also think, and I kind of said this earlier, I'm like, Maybe God just like was like, no, I tried this. Uh, <laughs> I gave done. them free will and look what's happened. Well, <laughs> I was going to do more, but <laughs> I'm quite done. <laughs> I think if you have a Darwinian evolutionary worldview, the thought must be, well, if, this, if, if life popped up out of nowhere here, right. based on all these other possibilities and how big the universe it's got to have popped up somewhere else also and then there's this idea of the multiverse that there's multiple universes out there and other dimensions and and we have life here so this has to be replicated somewhere else so you would assume also that that there'd be something out there did you get some statistics 
interrupt you real quick. It says, this is what the, the internet says. Classified as a red supergiant, Betelgeuse is one of the largest stars. So stars. it's not a planet, it's okay, a star. Okay, thank you. Visible to the naked eye. If it were at the center of our solar system, its surface would lie beyond the asteroid belt. So the asteroid belt is oh outside my. of Mars. So you have the sun, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, then the asteroid belt. So the, the star itself is big enough to engulf the first four planets plus the sun. It's insane. Wrap your brain around that for a Can't. second. Ridiculous. Wow. It's frightening. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to your point, though, um, I think because I, I've thought that, too, like, isn't that a waste of space or like shouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. if we have so much, there's so much creation out there. Like, why is it that we seem to be like the one center point? And that's that's like a really like good capitalist way to think about it. Because we're like, oh, there's land there. Let's build something, um, <laughs> but it, but that's like a very also very hum, like a human centric kind of way to think about it, and in the same way, like ev- evolutionarily, same way too, um, because you see it and you assume that there must be something out there, you know, you you assume that either we could build, we could colonize, right? Like Elon Elon Musk thing about colonizing Mars for some reason. Because I guess we need more rocks, <laughs> or, or the fact that there there could be life out there, it's like that that would be that would be what happened if one of us made the universe, and we would say, oh, let's put Earth here and we'll put people there and we'll make uh, Pandora or whatever it is and the the Navi. What is that? That's from a what's that movie? Air, the um, Avatar, the okay. blue people. Oh yeah, the oh, blue sure, people. sure. I didn't. See yeah. It. Okay. yeah. Or you know, sci-fi would be like we, we we would put this there and we put that there, but um, that's not what that's maybe not what God did. Yeah. So the you know I, I guess it's a good question though is why. So I think that's a a strong argument from silence of of the biblical account of creation. Um, that, that that the world is created and that human beings are the crown of creation. And, and the psalmist here in Psalm 8 still kind of boggles his mind that like humans would be the crown of creation, that we'd be the focus, that, mm-hmm. that, that things would be designed on this earth and in this universe and where we're placed in the universe and how our axis tilt and our distance from the sun, all those factors, all that fine-tuning that's set up for life... Um, the fact that we haven't found life or anything else, any you know, as, as much as we've tried to find, as much as we've tried to find things that we haven't, I feel like falls closer to a worldview that that's biblical, that that this is what God has designed. Um, and if it isn't, if if life is an accident, we would expect to see more accidents pop up. Right. Other and parts I, of. I go ahead. Yeah, go on. Okay. I uh, I did look up some some you know findings of life uh, sure. uh, in outer space. Um, so they did find the presence of phosphine on Venus, which is a rare gas uh, that's usually associated with living organisms. Okay. Um, I guess they concluded cool. that... Phosphine. Right, right. That there's no there's no real, like, you know, that's that's the thing is, like, everything, like, gets kind of close. Yeah. Um, they found gas. They found gas. Yeah. You know, they found some ocean worlds, you know, significant presence of water and things like that. Um but like nothing like beyond that. Right. And so then like kind of what the, this article I was reading said, 
you know, basically all it's going to do is kind of just lead to more funding to continue to research. Like, so, <laughs> so in other words, like nothing's really been like, discovered. and Getting then, hard. um, in April of 2020, as if enough wasn't going on, remember in, in 2020, uh, the Navy had caught some wingless aircraft. Do you remember this traveling at hypersonic speeds? Um, and then the author of the article was saying, you know, wasn't sure if there was any real validity to that, but, but it seemed like it's, it's just kind of people's, um, curiosity and desire to want to know that there's something else out there, like the yeah. search for something else. Cause like this just mm-hmm. can't be it. And so, yeah, I mean, you do, you might see a few things that might be associated with right. life, but it's not I, life as we know it. Certainly. I think if there were other life somewhere else, it would be, it would be more unlikely that we'd find it that than we would if we're talking. Cause you know, we learned yesterday in the sermon that the, the the universe or whatever has at least two trillion galaxies and all those have at least a hundred billion stars and we're we're like we're orbiting around one star we haven't even like really made it to the other planets yet like not really right and so and so we're like oh that that could be a ufo yeah from where (laughs) like then just to hop skip in the next universe over like oh yeah that's our neighbor they came to say hi like they could be you know i i think that a, a concept that's really fascinating to me is like relative size and, and what we're actually able to comprehend. Like when someone says two trillion, we have no idea what that means. No. We, yeah. when, when someone says, like, oh, Elon Musk has like $200 billion, all we can do is be like, oh, so that means he's worth um, like a hundred Johnny Depps and that person is worth, <laughs> you know, like 50,000 of me. And so, holy cow, that's really rich. But we, we have to break it down yeah. into like, simple you know so yeah. many of these yeah. so many of these and the same thing for really small like how big is an atom or how big is like a neutron or a, sure. a, an electron or something like it's so tiny you have to be like oh well like 10 million of them could fit inside of a baseball whatever right. it is um and, and we still have no idea what those numbers mean and it's just like we're only really to able to comprehend like a a, a very like select slice yeah of 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 sizes or volumes or measures or numbers and there's and i i don't know i feel like that's god he's just he's like i you got nothing on me it's funny i think in the in the creation account however you understand that uh it says um yeah god's uh God made two great lights, the lesser light to govern the day and the or the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. <laughs> yeah, big deal, you know. By the way, by the way, he also made the stars. And then, you know, and 2 trillion galaxies are 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 birthed. So I wh- whatever that means or however that looks, I, I guess for me um that would really challenge my faith. I'd have to figure out what that meant. If we would see a bunch of other storylines of other life in other planets, because it's maybe this sounds arrogant, but it, it just, you know, the way this world it seems to be designed. And when you read the creation account, uh, it seems to, the table seems to be set, and then humans are brought into the table, brought into the room, brought into the house, however you want to say it. And and it's all designed for human beings uh, to flourish, to rule, to 
to to love one another, to care, to be God's representatives, to be made in His image, and then we mess it up, and then God comes and redeems us as He makes Himself small, becoming a human being in Jesus Christ, and that's the story. That's the universe story. That's the you know, That's the 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 one story. Um, and if there were a bunch of other stories out there of aliens or whatever you want to call it, uh, that would I think that would really contradict the biblical account. Uh, so I, I don't I don't think so. He doesn't say like it's exclusive. He doesn't, but it it sure seems uh, like the story is like you said. The story is clearly written for us because he says he made a, a greater light and a lesser light to govern the day and the night, respectively. Yeah. But in this, in the grand scheme of things, the sun and the moon are not great. You know, they're tiny, and he and it says he also made the stars. But so, so he that's he's writing he's writing to us, right? Correct. As people, he's saying like this is a light to govern your day and a light to govern your night. But he, he doesn't he doesn't say that there couldn't be other life. I, I don't really think there is, but but that's neither here nor there. Could there yeah. be another Bible with another Jesus on another like because the, they so that's kind of the whole too. like yeah the whole multiverse kind yeah. of idea right, and that I think comes out of secular a secular worldview of there must be other worlds, there must be other stories. Uh, we're just one that had all the um, things work out here. This is just the we hit the jackpot here, but so there's other other universes out there. I just I I, I see that as a contradiction uh, to the biblical account. And w- what's interesting is all of our searching, all of our looking for life, we haven't found any. Which for me again backs up. I think even if it's a, a, a evidence based on silence, um, the biblical account. God creates this universe. This universe is broken because of sin. And then on the last day, he said he's going to remake all things, the heavens and the earth. And so I believe on the last day when he renews all things, that, that's, that's including the galaxies and, and everything's going to be renewed. So I see that as a unified story. And, and uh, the fact that we haven't found any other stories, we just thought of conjecture, um, I think points to to the reality of God and the biblical account. I, I think what it comes down to when you talk about um, like a, a secular worldview looking for multiverses or looking for other life, looking for advanced technology or whatever, I mean, it just, I think it all circles back to all, all mankind is looking for a Messiah in something. And mm-hmm. whether you say you're religious or whether you say you're secular humanist, mm-hmm. it does not matter. And the the more you take a God, the, the farther you get away from specific theism, the closer you're going to get to just um, deifying things in life yeah. or pipe dreams in life, like finding life outside. Or, or people, we, I was just talking about this with somebody, is, is um, when you find your spouse or you find romance, like people deify romance yeah. now mm-hmm. right, because right. it's like, you know, and there, there's something's like, got to fill the spot, right? And we 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 see a picture of God's love and marriage. That's every wedding sermon ever, right? Right. Um, but but people people make that uh, treat that like like ultimate love, ultimate happiness, and and mm-hmm. you do that with everything. And the farther you get away from God, you you just you just 
take that desire that's in you and you throw it onto something else, which will always fall short because yeah. that thing is not your Messiah. Right. Mm-hmm. But you won't stop looking until you actually find him. Right. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I mm-hmm. think that's true. Um, I think not not only the fact that we haven't found other life, but the fact that this small corner in the universe is designed for life, the the positive, uh, all the things that have to work together. And we were just talking about the Woodstock has to be organized to keep life going for those three days. Think about all the things that have to happen, uh, whether it's the weather or just um, oxygen, food, all these things that that have to... uh, starting life, keeping life going, mm-hmm. uh, a man and a woman, and she's got to be interested, you know, like all these things have to happen. <laughs> That's the hardest part. Yeah, that, that, that all these things have to happen to, to start life, create life. Um, there's a book that uh, an author and a scientist that has been helpful for me, uh, Stephen Meyer, uh, he wrote uh, Darwin's Doubt. That's a book that I, I really found helpful uh, in Signature in the Cell, and now I think his latest book is Return of the God Hypothesis. And so much of what he focuses on are the fine-tuning of the universe, but also uh, DNA, he thinks, is one of the the most recent, most powerful pointers to God. Uh, And in the past, he just would say intelligent design. This kind of points to an intelligent designer. Now he's even more specific that he believes that this this is the God Hypothesis. Because DNA is a code, like music, like music on a, on a sheet of paper is information. You look at those notes, and you know someone put these notes together. Uh, they they put it in a key. They put it together to make an organized story and song. You read a few letters on a page, and you know that there's no way that this could have ever happened by chance. And when you look inside of us. Um, you find DNA that's a genetic code that's speaking a language the same way that any other language is. And every time, he says, every time you have a language, you have an author, 100%. If you go walk on the beach and you see three letters in the sand, I love Emily, uh, you know that that had to be a designer. Somebody had to write that. So I think I find that very fascinating. And again, I think it connects to yesterday's message about seeing God in creation. Now, which God is the right God? I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. So did this guy who authored this book, was he, I mean, you mentioned he's, he would call it intelligent design and now he has full-blown said God. Did he make a transition to to acknowledging like God? I think he, as he continues to be a scientist and research, like he, he's getting more and more specific because there's just, for him the, the evidence is overwhelming and he's very specific. It's not the God of the gaps. It's not, um, we don't know how this works, and so God did it. He's saying there are mechanisms that whenever we see these mechanisms, we always know there's an author. There's always a designer. And so it's actually what we do know is pointing to a designer, not what we don't know. And and so I mm-hmm. think that's that's kind of a new argument uh, and one that people don't want to sit and listen to long enough to actually uh, let sink in. And no one's been able to really refute it either. So I, I find it fascinating that 
whether you're looking at the macro level of, of the fine-tuning of the, the universe for life or you look at the microscopic level of DNA, all of it seems to point to uh, a designer. And I think what's fascinating there is one keeps getting bigger and one keeps getting smaller. Like we just keep discovering, oh, it's even bigger than we thought or this goes even smaller than we thought. Right. And it's like you can't chase him down. Yeah. He just made it so insanely complex and just kind of in the middle and he's like, yeah, this is this is for you to figure out and have right. fun with it, but right. you're not going to you're not going to figure out the puzzle. Right. Like DNA and atoms and molecules and all those tiny things or the billions and trillions of galaxies. Yeah. And you I mean, not only can you never go there you'd right. never be able to explore it or even see it all but you can't right. even think about what that number means like it's just too big for you to even understand i think that's what's so great about that hebrew poetry in psalm 9 you know oh lord our lord how majestic is your name like i can't even wrap my brain around it and they had no idea how big it was and he's still writing that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and then to have the humility what is mankind that you're mindful of them like that we have these kinds of brains that can uh, build skyscrapers or 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 you know build families or organizations or do these incredible things um it's just an incredible gift it's just it's just the psalmist is led to wonder like i can't believe we are so small and yet you give us such dignity and purpose and and then part of that purpose is to continue to explore uh, god's world and really, what, what is a scientist or what is an inventor? It's to take the things that God has made and try to replicate it. Uh, we, we watch how a bird flies and we try to do it and make a plane. We watch how, um, you know how sneakers were designed? No. They were on, um, they were watching on, on ships that, you know, all the sailors were always sloshing all over, it, but they had a dog on ship and the dog was just fine. And they looked at the little kind of, how, how the dog's paw was formed and the little suction kind of cups at the bottom of a dog's paw. Like, <laughs> we need to design that. And that's how a tennis shoe was designed. You know, so all these things, we are just looking at God's creation. You know, what is a computer but um, a brain? I mean, it's all, a yes, no machine. Yeah, that's right. A yes, no machine. That, that, that it, it, you know, so all these things that, that we're designing, we, we can't do any better than God. God did it first. And so I, I just continue to find science amazing that, that I hope Christians are not scared away to study science, but that it would lead to deeper and deeper appreciation for our designer. That's good. Yeah. And medicines too. You know, exactly. Same thing, like to fight off. And we, we replicate chemicals right. already made by the brain. Right. You know. For a variety of things. It's you know? amazing. It's amazing. So I was really thankful, like you said, for... Professor Bivens's uh, sermon yesterday, and just a moment to sit back and appreciate the complexity, design, the wonder. So I love Get On Creation. Shout out to Frosty. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I still can't call him that after uh, being in his classroom for so many years. So yeah, pretty cool. That's all I had on that topic. It's good. Okay. All right. Third topic. Third sycamore we're going to climb today. Okay. Um, is our culture's glorification of busyness. Uh-huh. I think we've touched on similar topics, mm-hmm. but it just struck me the other day how um, you have, you've made someone, someone asks you, do you want to come and hang out? Do you want to come and do this or that? And you say, no, I can't. I'm busy. Or how are you doing? What's that? How are you doing? I'm busy. I'm busy. Yeah. Mm. And that's 
good, good right keeping bit I'm, I'm staying busy i'm keeping busy or you know it's like oh i can't i gotta i, ha- I got a meeting i gotta jump i got a phone call yeah. right and we oh okay that's a valid excuse but if you said now nah, i'm just gonna stay at home and watch tv you'd be like oh come on right come on hang out that'll be more fun right but if you're busy that's that's fine but it's not it's not necessarily healthy it's not necessarily good but we respect it we're like all right this person's working hard and that is good yeah so thoughts i think more than working hard is always like the if you're busy, like in the workplace or, or you're like, you, it's like you're in high demand, right? Whether yeah. it's socially or from a oh, work standpoint. So it's like, I'm busy um, or, or not me per se, but like if I'm looking at somebody who's busy, I'm thinking, oh, they must be in high demand in their field of work, yeah. I have social circle. I have never put words to that, but like subconsciously, yeah, it's mm-hmm. like I'm busy because everyone wants it. me to do stuff To be for at them. their thing or yeah. to help them with their thing or to be at their party or whatever. Yep. I know my nothing favorite, about this. My favorite, my favorite book on this: the useless is, elimination of hurry, or yeah, the ruthless elimination of yeah, hurry. Yeah, by John Mark Com- Comer. I'm he figuring really, out what you read. He, uh, because did you have? To, were you part of that emptying out of the office, or just all those? Okay. What What is the name of the book? No, I'm just Ben. You, you, his memories so so these days. You've cited that book several times. Yeah, I do. It's my favorite book on that: the ruthless elimination of hurry. Uh, and there, there's quite a few other books I think written on that. They're all over right now. I, I think on the Sabbath, you know, people are talking about this a lot because I think they're responding to what you're saying, where people feel exhausted, they lack a sense of real purpose in the things that they are doing, and they're just, you know, filling up their lives with busy work because as long as I'm busy, I'm important. Yeah. Or distracted. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm guilty of that. Like I like to be busy so that I don't have to sit and think about you know responsibility yeah i mean or yeah just obligations or responsibility or you know whatever so if i stay busy then i don't have to think about it it's just that we all accept it as an excuse like why haven't you been able to do this or that oh i've been busy oh that's perfectly acceptable like you might be working yourself into the early grave you might be stressing yourself out neglecting your sleep neglecting your nutrition but you've been busy and that is okay and that's glorified. And we all accept that. You like, sacrificed oh, yeah, your health you know, for your busyness. Zipping around and your 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 uh, with your clipboard and your coffee cup, and it's like, oh well, they're clearly up to something important. I don't want to get in their way. I think uh, there's another book that that was been highly recommended called Twenty Four Six, written by a, a physician who's a Christian and just talked about the health benefits of taking a full Sabbath, and how our bodies are really. I really need that. I think also because we don't have kind of definite lines anymore with work is you're always on because you can always check your email. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have a defined, this is when I go to bed, this is when I wake up, this is when I end my work day, this is when I start my work day. And I think that's another thing that's causing people to be restless, uh, having kind of a, a restless uh, sense of, of, of life where they, they don't feel like there's any reprieve um, I do think the Christian message can help when we realize one author said we're human beings, not human doings, uh, that we are, that life is actually a gift. My favorite book of the Bible is Ecclesiastes when, when he says, you know, why am I working so hard? Why am I doing all these things? They just seem meaningless, a chasing after the wind until I recognize that they're a gift that work is a gift and rest is a gift and food is a gift and friends are a gift. And when I stop seeing life as this 
race I'm trying to win and a gift that I'm trying to take care of, uh, he seems to finally find some peace that life doesn't seem so meaningless and uh, such a chase. I think the opposite of that is finding uh, like your identity and what you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to do. Mm hmm. Because like if you talk to someone and you're like, oh, what do you do? And they're like, oh, you know, I like I'm a part time art teacher or something at the local school. And then I just stay at home with my kids. You're like, oh, OK, that's really nice. But someone's like, oh, I'm the vice president of some bank or something. Like, oh, OK. Like I owe you my respect. Yeah. You clearly know what's up. You have dignity. You are smart, large and in charge. What do you need, sir? You know, yeah. and and that like all they did was tell you their title. And they didn't say, I like doing it. I might hate it. Right. Um, they might be stressed out all the time. Again, they might be incredibly anxious, probably because they're afraid to lose their job if they make a tiny mistake. Like, But we just like, oh, okay, well, all right, status. You know, that's, that's as big. The other side of that is what a blessing it is to have things to do. I was just going to say there's a balance there. I think. Yeah, where like... I think God does want us to use our gifts. Yeah, the, the whole the whole word talent comes from that unit of money from Jesus' parable, uh, and these are gifts that God has given us, and He and He expects us to use them. And I think during the pandemic, when we couldn't leave, man, such a sense of hopelessness or meaningless or purposelessness. But when you have a job and you're doing work that you care about and you feel it is making a difference, it is such a gift. So there, there is a, I, and I do think, you know, that those ancient rhythms of taking a Sabbath, taking a day off helps kind of combat that a feeling that I'm a human doing and my whole identity is in that and then get back to work. Yeah. So I think I have to strike that balance. Do you guys think you're striking the balance? I think mostly, I think it's dangerous to be too idle also, right. you know, you got to have a balance in that regard as well. So being too busy is certainly a problem, but being not busy enough is also a problem. So I think you got to find that middle ground. I fluctuate wildly. <laughs> it'd be like two weeks of nonstop stuff. And then it'll be like a week of nothing. And the problem is, of course, is that like people, oh, can you do this? Could we meet here? Could you get that to me? I'm like, yeah, sure. And because I think I have all this free time because, you know, the week I'm scheduling all this stuff. I'm doing nothing, but in the week I'm scheduling four is all of a sudden extremely busy. So I still haven't quite struck that balance, I'd say. But but you kind of like unintentionally segued into the kind of the point I was thinking of is like if we're all we're all designed for a purpose and in some sense like your life is short. Do four thousand weeks. Yeah. Don't like you shouldn't be we <laughs> <It's> depressing. <laughs> some of us it's less. <laughs> It's like you shouldn't waste your time because life is short. And like, you know, the Bible makes it pretty clear. Like you have a lot of work to do. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of work to do and you're never going to, you're never going to be fulfilled totally here on earth, but you'll certainly never be fulfilled at all if you don't have any purpose in what you do. So then it almost seems like, you know, like taking a day off is like kind of wasting your time. Sure. Sure. And so I don't know, I've been thinking about this, you know, probably every day for the past two years, which is like, find your purpose but i really have always like i've never wanted to be that person that's like constantly getting like five hours of sleep and just sure. on the clock doing this doing that and never has any time to like take a breath yeah so taking a breath is to, is i think or taking a you know a sabbath or whatever is it's an investment mm -hmm. you know i think in the long run and 
Um, and I think people are different too. Some people have the capacity to, you know, be busy or pastor bill than (laughs) others. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I get, yes. Yeah. I think, um, what was I going to say? Just the, the reality that, uh, we have limits and, oh, I think the hard part is in the past, your profession was basically chosen for you. You know, you were a smith because you were a blacksmith. You were a baker because you were a baker and you inherited the family farm, the family business, the family occupation. That's who you were. Now there's so many choices on what I could do. There's this extreme fear of missing out, finding your passion, picking the right career, uh, and and I have to make my career make make my life. I, I think it's interesting the focus of different sitcoms through Roseanne was in step by step that back in the nineties the focus was the home. That's mm-hmm. where you found your meaning, that's where you found life. And then early two thousands, friends, you found your you found your meaning and purpose at the coffee shop. Seinfeld is along that. Seinfeld, mm-hmm. you found your found your meaning and purpose at, with your friends, and then what's the latest sitcoms? You know, Office, uh, Parks and Rec, your workplace, your workplace, and so I think that kind of shows uh, shifts in culture where 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 we find our our sense of meaning and 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 value, and and like, yeah, work is great, but uh, yeah, it can't just be that. Well, most people be... spend so much time there. Yeah. You know, these are where your waking hours are spent, right. you know? Yeah. Well, like, I mean, Parks and Rec in the office, they're all friends. Like, yeah, there's a bunch of weirdos. But in essence, that doesn't matter because in the scope of the show, we don't really see outside the right. workplace all that much. So for all intents and purposes, they're friends. There's the weird friends and then there's the closer friends, but they're, they're, they're friends. Right. And and that's why, that's why the show works. And that's why there's like so many like off kilter weird moments that are like funny, but you brush them off. I mean, think about half the stuff that happens. In the show. Like if that happened in your workplace, that person would be shunned, would never oh, participate in anything yeah, right. ever again. You know? <laughs> right. But it, I think it does show there's a shift of where you oh, yeah, find meaning uh, and, and th- they brought that out. So yeah. I, so what's your conclusive answer to all this hurry and busyness? Oh, I don't know. The other book that I, I think has been really helpful for me is Seculosity. It kind of dovetails what you talk about, David. Saul. I probably brought this book up also. My roommate just brought that up like uh, two days ago. The book, yeah, he read. He yeah. was reading me from the book, actually. Yeah, and and the the whole book is based on we might become a more secular culture, but we have we have just made religious these different things, and one of our the biggest religions is work and work workaholism and and also exercise, and he brings up all these different areas of life, and I think that we're going to find our justification that we matter, that that we're lovable somewhere. And if you don't find it in Jesus Christ, you'll find it some, somewhere else. Making yourself your own Messiah. Yeah, That's exactly. What we all do. Right? Justification that mm-hmm. we're enough. And then and we th- fail, and then we feel like garbage. And yeah. <laughs> but church is still open, people. Anyone who fails and feel like garbage, that's what we talk about every that's week. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. In Jesus, we find enoughness. We're enough. Is that good?
That's all right. That'll that'll do it for us here. Tune in next week when Pastor Bill fights a live badger. (laughs) Bye, guys. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.